be able to share my testimony with my sisters and brothers in Christ. It has truly been a, an incredible journey for me. And God is just so faithful. He has been so faithful in my life. So tremendously faithful. And I, I, I want to share that. Not only did he take the heart and heart that I had when I met him, and changed it and made a heart of flesh. But he wrote a story up on my heart and it tells of my life. It's really his story about me and the things that he's done for me and through me. And I thank you so much for, for being here to listen to that story. Because I think it's a pretty phenomenal story <laughs> because I came from some places um, where I didn't know Christ. The Word of God tells us that when we're born, we're born into sin. And so we need the Lord even once we're born. And, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of joy when a child is born and there's a birth. They're really happy about that. And a lot of times we cry when others die. But really, life begins once we do go on to be with the Lord. Because we, when we're born, we're now entering into a system, a worldly system, where Satan is the god of this world, where we experience a lot of trauma, um, a lot of um, roads that we wouldn't desire for ourselves to take, but sometimes we end up taking. But I just thank the Lord that he has that redeeming grace, and he's able to um, bring us back to where he he started us from. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about, first of all, is that my, um, my mom was born in Bristol, Tennessee, and it's ironic that I'm in Tennessee later on. That's, that's really incredible. But there's, there's a reason I ended up coming here, but she was born in Bristol, Tennessee. My father was born in um, Bakersfield, California. I just found that out last night, talking to my mom. <laughs> Bakersfield, California. I knew it was California, but I didn't know exactly where, but that's where he was born. But both sets of my grandparents decided that they wanted to move to Michigan, not knowing one another, but they both decided that's where they were coming. Well, that's where my parents met one another. Now, my father had his hands full because he was desperately after my mom but he had to go through 11 siblings to get to her. And he had to go through my mom's dad, my grandfather, who happened to be a Baptist pastor. So he had to really wiggle his way in, and guess what, he made it. He made it in. He and my mom got married, and my dad wanted to be able to support his family, so what he decided to do was join the army. And he was stationed in Fort Houston, Virginia, is where he was stationed. So that's where I was born. So I am an army brat. And I happen to be the only child between my parents. Now, sadly, my parents divorced when I was two. And I don't recall any of that, but this is just some information that my mom and dad kind of shared with me. They got married pretty young, and so 
they didn't really have, because they were away, they really didn't have the support, the family support that they needed, that foundation, to really help them to just push through the issues. So they ended up getting a divorce. Now, that may sound a little devastating, and it may seem like I may have ended up, you know, from a single family, but the most phenomenal thing about this is that even though my parents were divorced, they were not divorced from me. That was the beauty of it. When they divorced, mom moved back to Michigan and dad moved to Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, and that's where he is today. But what they decided to do was to make sure that I spent the same equal quality time between the two of them. So one year I was with dad, one year I was with mom, one year with dad, and one year with mom until I graduated. Now, it doesn't seem like there's any stability in that because I'm going from Michigan to Alabama to Michigan to Alabama, from city to country, city to country. My dad happened to be a farmer. Now that in itself was a little different. Mom, on the other hand, was a city girl. So I could do whatever I wanted to do with mom for, for a time. But when I got to be with dad, there was structure. And so, I was one year kind of just wild and about in the city doing whatever I wanted to do, and then another year, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, wearing dresses, no pants, no earrings, no makeup, going to church every day, all night prayer meetings. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, there was structure there. And I remember writing a letter to my mom telling her about all these bugs in Alabama and red dirt and, and, and I, I'm not having any fun and please let me come home. And my grandfather, remember, was a Baptist minister and he said to my mom, he said, daughter, leave her there. She'll be fine. Leave her there. She'll be fine. Now, I'm trying to keep track of where I am here. Now... Mom, one year, decided that she wanted to search out some things. And in her search, mom became what I considered an American, um, mm, I guess the word I want to use is converted Muslim. She began to study Islam. So now, my mom is a converted Muslim, and my dad is in Christianity. And I'm growing up in all these different shiftings and changings that's going on in my life. Now, the times that I'm with mom, my grandfather took it upon himself to make sure that I was spending as much time with him as possible. Because he knew the Lord, and he didn't know what was up with mama. But he knew the Lord. And so he would make sure that Every weekend, I was at his house every Saturday night, spending the night so I could go to church Sunday morning, come home for dinner, go to church Sunday night. He'd get me on Fridays, he'd get me on Thursdays to make sure that I was in the house of the Lord. So I had my dad pulling on me from one aspect and my grandfather pulling on me from another. And yet mom, in this new lifestyle or conversion that she was in 
was pulling on me. So I'm wondering what is real. And so my grandfather, when we were going to church, what my grandfather would do on Friday nights, he would always show these movies. And I don't know if you remember them, but it was about hell's fire. It was about Armageddon. It was about the end times. I mean, they wanted to scare you into heaven. It wasn't about a personal relationship with, with the Lord. It wasn't about how the Lord loved you or how you could love the Lord and get to know him on a personal basis. It was about getting some fire insurance. It was about just realizing if you don't get it together, if you don't wear the right thing or say the right thing or do the right thing, you could end up in hell. And it's not gonna be pretty and it's not gonna be good. So it was based on works more so than it was based on the grace of God. And so for a long time, I walked in fear, not, not having the fear of God, which is respect, but having the fear of God, which was like terror. I was terrorized. It was hard for me to sleep at night. I know sometimes, you know, sometimes in the sky, the moon turns orange. Have you ever seen that? Where it turns orange and it's really huge. Well, when I was a little girl, when, I, when that would happen, every night I would pray and say, Lord, please don't come yet because I don't quite have it right and I haven't figured it out and I know I've done some stuff today that just isn't right. So please don't come now because I want to go to heaven and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Now, during this time I was with mom and was a Muslim, some of the things that I had to do was I had to wear the Muslim garments I remember eating lots of fish tacos, lots of bean pies, the whole, the whole nine yards, and, and their belief system was just so off the wall. I mean, the things that they believed in, I mean, it had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And it was just totally off. And I knew that even as a kid, something just, a, just was not quite right. With dad, with his Christianity, it was almost on the other end of the spectrum. There was not relationship, it was more religion because dad was more afraid that the world was going to end soon and that we needed to can as much food as we could. And that's what we did. Dad sold our home and he moved way out in the country of Piedmont, Alabama. What he did, he bought this shack and restructured it and he brought all of his girls there. Now, let me back up a little bit because I told you early on that I was a single child as far as my mom and dad. But when my mom moved back to Michigan and my dad moved to Alabama, my parents both remarried. Now, I was tre tremendously blessed through that, those unions because they were not step-parents to me. God truly blessed me with two sets of parents and that's what they were. So my stepmom was never really considered a stepmom. She was like a second mom. And my stepdad, the same thing, he was like a second dad. But they each had other children. So God blessed me to be a big sister over 11 siblings. So I have nine sisters and I have two brothers. So I thought I would share that with you because our relationship is just as tight now as it was then. We don't call each other stepbrother or stepsister or half-brother or half-sister. It's just sister and brother. 
and it's just as sweet now as it was then. And the majority of my siblings are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. So God is gracious. He's good. He's good. Now, I mention that because I wanted to say that the time when dad had sold the home and then me and my siblings, we moved into this, I'm going to call it a little shack because it was a house that was abandoned and he bought it and he kind of fixed it up. But this is the thing. Daddy moved us out of the city where we had running water, toilets, TVs, the whole nine yards. He moved us to the country where we had a well. So we had to pump water to drink, to bathe. Um, We had chickens that ran around, pigs that ran around, so we had to learn how to feed animals. I even had the privilege of wringing a chicken's neck, plucking his, his feathers, and we had him for dinner. That was really hard for me, very hard, to see something running around, and then you're, and Dad reminded me there was this blue sack on the inside of him, and Dad said, you cannot burst that. When you pull that out, you have to be very careful because if you do, it's going to poison the chicken. We can't eat it. And I remember sitting at the table trying to digest this chicken. And it was the toughest chicken I ever had. And I think because mentally I'm thinking, I just saw this thing running around and we just killed it and now you want to eat it. Kind of a little different than getting the chicken out out of the store. But um, those were some wonderful times for me because even though it seemed like I was having a hard time and my dad was off his rocker, seemingly, to do that. I mean, we didn't even have toilets. Dad would buy these great big buckets with lids. He really went overboard. (laughs) He did. And we had a certain area in each of the rooms where these were. And you would go there and do your thing, and then we had to take it outside. Dad would dig up a hole, and we'd pour it in the hole. Uh, We had to pluck corn and dig beans. We'd go to school, come home, and we'd have to get out in the field and do some things. So he was actually teaching us how to survive without, you know, your everyday items. If you didn't have these everyday things like toilets and running water and televisions, we didn't even have TV in the house. We'd go in prayer, or we read books, or we go outside and play. He was trying to teach us the finer things of life and to be appreciative of what God was doing. But he also was walking in fear because he thought that the end time was coming any time and that we needed to be prepared for that. Amen? Now, um, let me see where I want to go from there. Wow, God is good. Amen. Now, once I reached 16 years of age, as a Muslim, you have, you can make the decision whether or not you want to stay a Muslim. And so for me, my decision at 16, I wanted to become a Christian. Now, I think my reasoning behind that, and my mom accepted it, accepted it, although she didn't like it. She accepted it. So I'm trying to live as a Christian based on my grandfather's Christianity, 
based on my father's Christianity. So I really was floundering because I didn't have any stability. And it, what I was experiencing in each of those specific realms, I just really didn't feel like God was in it. I just, it just seemed like he just wasn't there because in my grandfather's church, a Baptist church, most of the saints were mean. Most of them were very stone-faced. Most of them were very serious and you didn't see a lot of laughter and you didn't see a lot of joy. And I don't think a lot of them were very happy because I don't think many of them actually had even um, met the Savior or even been filled with the Holy Spirit because they didn't know anything about it because they were trying to live their lives based on do's and don'ts. What you can wear, what you can't wear, what you can do and what you can't do. And then dad was living his Christianity out of fear that the end time was coming soon. But I believe I made that choice because I believe my grandfather as well as my father had been praying for me, really praying for me. But in that, I. I truly believe as I look back that I made that choice because that was the more freer choice. Because in Islam, you're so guarded. You're just so guarded. You can't even go outside at night without an escort. There's just, you just so, are so guarded. And women weren't really uh, given any freedoms in that. And I really don't understand why people choose that. But to go on, um, I was floundering, trying to find Christ, trying to find what this walk with God was really all about. But in the meantime, I'm 16, remember? So one foot was in and one foot was out. I was straddling the fence. You know, the Lord says, I'd rather that you be hot or cold, you know, but you're really neither. And so I just really just... I could just spit you out my mouth at this point because there's no decision here that you're making. I'm just kind of just straddling here and floundering. And so I'm walking this out and trying to, trying to, to make a decision at age 16 how I want to live my life. Well, I decided that I was just going to live my life like I wanted to live it because none of this religious stuff made any sense to me. It was just the people going through the motions. Their lives showed me entirely something different. In church, they acted one way. Outside of church, I saw a totally different world, totally different people. And I just wondered if this was really real or just something that people was doing every Sunday just to say, I've done my duty, I've gone to church. And that's it. But there was no real life changing that was taking place. Once I reached 20, got into my 20s, now I'm in the world. I would go to church on Sundays, do my duty. If I, if I partied all Saturday night, I was always told if you can party all night, you can get up and go to church on Sunday morning. So I got up and went to church on Sunday morning. Was I awake half the time? Probably not. Was I asleep a lot of the time? Yeah. Did I really hear what was being said? Nope. Did I really take it to heart? No, because I didn't see any personal changes in anybody's life. I really didn't. In my 20s, I kind of started, you know how Jehovah Witnesses, they start coming to your door and knocking on your door and 
I remember letting them in a couple of times, sitting at the table with them, going through the Bible. And the thing that kind of drew me away from that is they used their own Bible. And I always felt that the King James Bible was the Bible. If you're veering off over here, something's not right with what you're doing. I don't care what you say, because my granddaddy said, this is the Bible, the King James Bible. And so that didn't last too long because they wanted to read out of theirs. And I'm like, mm, that's okay. That's all right. Still searching. And then I ended up getting involved with Seven Day of Venice. So I just kind of, you can see I've just been just a little bit everywhere. And I got involved with Seven Day of Venice and I started learning about how important it was for you to keep the Sabbath. How important it was for you to keep the laws of God. I did not know that you would be judged by the very laws that you're trying to keep. In other words, if you say you lie, but you never murdered, you're going to be judged by it all. And you're like, whoa, that's a little tight rope there. I, I don't know if I can walk that entire tight rope. But I didn't learn that till later because I got really involved in it and my father heard about it, and he and my second mom drove all the way up from Alabama to Michigan to sit and talk with me. And I mean, it took them days, because what happened, even though they were off in another realm as far as the, their religion, something happened that I didn't know with their lives. They ended up leaving the church that they were at, moving back to the city, and they met Christ. They became born-again believers in a spirit-filled church. And so when they found out that I was part of a seven-day Adventist ministry living under the law, they got very concerned. And so they drove up to come see me. And they tried very hard to help me understand that it is by grace. And it is because the, of the Lord giving his life for us that our sins are forgiven, that it is not by something that we do or don't do or wear or don't wear. It is just, it just coming to the realization and knowing that he's done it all and that you can really truly be free. That was a little hard for me. For who he sets free, he sets free indeed. That, that was hard when they tried to share the gospel with me. And I wanna say, and I, I wanted to mention that I did have a couple of waterfall moments. And I think the first one, if I back up a little bit, the first one was when I decided to give my life to Christ. Even though it was a mental change, mentally I decided to do that. Even though it wasn't a heart change yet, I knew that was the better road to take. So that was my first waterfall. I really believe it was. Now my second one, is when my father came and he really pleaded with me and prayed with me and, and took me to the word of God to help me see, even though I didn't see it in that moment, the word that he had shared with me was in my heart. Seed had been planted and I really believe that was my second waterfall moment. I really do. And he left there believing that the Lord would open my eyes. Even though he didn't see any change, even though it didn't seem like I shift 
and I didn't at that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit was really wooing me, really drawing me closer and closer to him because he knew I was searching. I was searching. And so he was making um, a way possible for me to actually meet him. And we're gonna get to that in a few moments. Um, the other weird thing that happened during this time after my dad had came to see me, my mom had this incredible experience in her bedroom, in her prayer time, and this was all freaking me out. In her prayer time, <laughs> you know, they go down like seven times to Allah, Allah praying, you know, seven times. And, but mom, this particular time, every time she would go down, she'd come up saying Jesus every single time. And when that happened after the seventh time, she said it just took her, aback, took her back. I mean, it just took her, I mean, because I know her father, her father had been praying for her dearly because he was like, I don't know what kind of mess you're in, but I'm going to pray you up out of that. I am. But mom began her search as well. So it's almost like both of us began our search. But m- mom, mom was, when that happened to her, I mean, she, it was like she just, and and this is just a visual, but it was almost like she took off all those garments and put on a new garment because it was a suddenly thing for her. She transitioned. Even though she never had a personal relationship with the Lord, she knew about the Lord through her, her dad because he was a minister. But she never established a relationship, but now she is yearning for relationship. And so that's the other incredible thing that happened with her. And I'm a, the reason I share that, you'll see later, I share that. So I was searching for truth because there were so many religions and I just could not find the one that fit me. That's what I was trying to find. Which one fit, fits me? I couldn't find that. Um, so something happened. My world began to crumble to me. Everybody's world crumbling is different than others. But for me, what was happening is I, um, my grandfather dies. That, I mean, he was like my closest, bestest adult friend. He was my grandfather, but we were so close and we kicked it together and laughed together and did things together. And he would always say, daughter, when are you going to get saved? Daughter, when are you going to get saved? He would always say that. And I always say, granddaddy, I am. I will. I am. You know, and then he dies and it rocks my world. Not only did he die at that time, the other thing that happened to me that was very devastating, I was working for General Motors and I worked on the third floor. And on the third floor, I had this really cool job. All I had to do was take a, a towel and just wipe off dirt off the car. Really easy. They started laying off. I wasn't one of those that got laid off, but I was one of those that ended up getting a much worse job. Well, my job went from the third floor to the basement or underneath the car, which they called the pit. Now, I had some issues. My issues were pride. My issues were I thought I was better than anybody else. My issues was nasty attitude. I think I'm all that. And people would confront me on that, and I would say, yeah, you're probably right. And it was, but God didn't like it at all and thought it was very ugly, very, very ugly. So I ended up in this pit, and I remember saying when they took me down there, Do they not know who I am? Why am I in this pit? There's got to be other people. I am better than that. And they're like, in the pit. 
Now, in the pit under the car, you had to wear a helmet and you had to wear coveralls. And the reason being is because oil drops all over you in the pit. Not only does it drop on you, it saturates you. And sometimes it's just pour on you instead of sprinkle on you. And when you come out of the pit, not only do you look oily, but you stink really bad. And so God was telling me, you know what? You stink really bad. Now, this is the hilarious thing about our God because I really believe he laughs at times. And I really think he was having a great big laugh. But not only did he put me down in the pit, but he put me down in a pit with one guy. Now, under the car, there's corridors. You go down the stairs and there's two of you. And then there's stairs over here and then there's two of you. And you can't see the others because there's a wall. But the assembly line, the cars are constantly going over. So there were certain jobs that we had to do under the car before it passed by to get to the next car. Now, the guy that he put down there with me, I was really upset because when I get down there, not only was it a guy and not a girl, but he had Bibles all over the place. So I'm like, now you're putting me down here with a Bible thumper. Not only am I getting all on me, but now I got to deal with this too. And so he introduced himself. I don't want to be bothered. I'm being just as nasty as everything that's pouring on me. He was very pleasant, he was very sweet, he didn't impose his religion on me or anything, but he would sit over there reading the word of God when we didn't have any cars coming over and he'd be laughing. I'm like, what in the world can you find funny? What can you find funny in the Bible? God is, he's holy from my understanding. You're gonna go to hell because the stuff that you're doing over there. That's what I'm telling him, right? And I don't know anything about it. So now that my grandfather has died, because I raised that issue earlier, and I'm going through this mourning process, this young man, God is using him to comfort me during this time, or during this season. And I started getting curious about some of the things that he was reading, or some of the things he was sharing with me about the goodness of God and his grace. And I remember him sharing that my grandfather was not dead as dead, but he was asleep. And he, when he opened his eyes, he would be in the presence of the Lord and how that so comforted me. But even through that process, I remember at granddaddy's funeral there, he didn't have a funeral. He had what we have here. He had a celebration and that was the very first time that I had ever encountered such a thing as a celebration. Um, but in that um, celebration, I fell in love with the place of worship that was giving this funeral. And I had made a decision that I, would, that I would come back to that place. Now, I did exactly that. And keep in mind that this young man is probably praying for me. He's planting seed. My dad has been planting seed. Um, and my grandfather, before he died, was praying for me, of course. But I was sitting in church one Sunday morning, and there was a young lady. I was sitting there, and the word that was coming across the pulpit, I know it was for me. 
I just knew it was specifically for me. And I remember weeping so hard as that word was coming forth. Three rows back, there was a young lady that came up and she sat beside me. I didn't even see her coming. She sat beside me and she took my head and put it on her shoulder. And I just weeped and weeped and weeped. And she whispered in my ear and she said, do you want to give your life to the Lord? And I said, yes, because if I don't do it now, I won't do it. And I'm just crying. And somehow she got the attention of the pastor. And believe it or not, he stopped in the middle of the service. And he had her bring me up to the front. And he began to just share with me the love of God. And that... Um, if I wanted to give my life to the Lord, that the Lord had many gifts for me and awaiting me. And it was the beauty of all that was just so fascinating um, because a lot of things that I was, a lot of questions that I was asking this young man were now being answered. And so right then and there, I just want to say, because I don't want to hold you up much longer, I want to say that I was filled with the Holy Ghost right then and there. And what happened it was just the only way I can describe when you when when we talk about living water, we talk about the when you when I look at an ocean and how the the ocean moves, that's what was happening on the inside of me. It was like a rebirth. Something was happening on the inside. God had got me right to the point where He needed me to be, where I wanted to surrender my life to Him. And so I gave my life to the Lord. And my mom, who was a member of this church now, too took off running around the church and saying, number one, she's the first, number one. And uh, then the saints just started rejoicing. So I do understand when they talk about in heaven, how the angels rejoice over one, because I received that same, uh, yeah, exciting celebration when I gave my life to the Lord as well. So I wanted to share that. Um, and then I wanna say that when I, I had a time in prayer after that, I mean, I really dived into everything concerning the word of God then. I mean, I went to prayer meetings and uh, I did a lot of fasting and I just grew very, very fast because I was so hungry for the Lord. But one time in prayer, I got down and I was singing this song, my father is God and I will, I will um, exalt him. And in singing that, as I was singing it, all of a sudden I just bust out in tears and fell on my face because the reality of that was so present at that moment that he was no longer God far away, but that he was now my father. That reality of that and me being filled with the Holy Spirit. So things were beginning to open up. The scriptures begin to open up like crazy for me. Um, so I just want to say that... Um, I finally met the Savior, so it was no longer about religion for me, but it was about relationship. And it has been about relationship ever since. I mean, if you've never had a personal relationship with the Lord before, I mean, where he talks to you and you talk to him, you're really missing something because he is so personable, so intimate, and it is so real. Um, so I just want to say, allow the Holy Spirit to woo you again and again and again and again. Don't get too comfortable in your Christianity. Don't ever get too comfortable because he wants to woo you to greater heights and greater things in Christ. Um, allow him to write his story on your heart like he did mine because he'll do that and he'll continue to write a story. So it's a, a never-ending story. He'll continue to write on it. Um, 
And one of the, two of the things I wanna say, and then we're gonna have the praise team to come up is, um, one of the questions was how do I maintain my walk? Uh, seven things. First of all, I try to keep a teachable spirit. I try to always be open to learn, to hear from others, because I don't know it all. And there are other people that hear from God and I need to hear from them. So I keep a teachable spirit. Um, I, sit, I submit myself to authority because I believe that we are under authority. We, we are never not under authority, whether it's in this house, whether it's on your job, whether it's in your home, submitting yourself to authority. Be quick to repent. God places something, the Holy Spirit hits you on something that you know that you need to fix, fix it. Be quick to repent, stay connected to the body, that's the most important thing, because if the enemy can get you by yourself, not being accountable to anybody, then you're in trouble. So you wanna stay connected to the body, always walk in love. Um, I guard my heart, I guard my heart, and I guard my ear and my eye, gate, my eye gate. What I watch, what comes before me, what I hear, I run. If it's something that is vexing my spirit, I'm out of there. Watching your ear gate and your eye gate, be careful what you allow in because it gets into your heart. You've got to guard your heart. And immediate obedience is the other, is the seventh thing. It's when God asks you to do something, don't question it, be obedient, do it. He knows what's best for us. And then the last thing, what are some of the tools that I use? Um, I study, I study, I study, I study. I love studying because I wanna show myself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, get into the word of God. It's not just about reading it and say I've done it for the day. Begin to question the Lord, what do you mean by this? Show me how to keep this in contact. What does this mean to me personally, Lord? What are you saying? Please explain that to me. So showing yourself approved by studying. Worship, I have worship going in my home 24 seven. Night and day, even my dogs, when they're outside, listen to worship. Worship, worship, worship. That's all I want in my spirit, in my car, in my home. My husband can testify of that. Worship is going on all the time. Um, prayer and fasting is very, 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 very important. We can pray all day long, but sometimes we need to put the plate aside. Sometimes we really do need to hear from God in a clear way. So sometimes we need to let the food go. Yeah, you're gonna get hungry, guarantee you. Yeah, you're gonna smell burgers and there's no burger place around, guarantee you. But that's important. Um, the other thing is being accountable to your shepherds. Being accountable to your shepherds because they pray for our souls. Being accountable. Amen. And then uh, the last thing, one of the books that really changed my life when I first gave my life to the Lord is written by a Chinaman by the name of Watchman Nee and it's called Spiritual Authority. I tell you, I learned so much. I still have that book today, today. And I do believe that one year, it might've been last year that we shared that book with our women's Tuesday morning class, but it's an incredible, incredible book. Praise the Lord. Uh, the praise team can come on up now. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out and listening to my testimony. All of us have something to share. So never hold back. Whatever God has done in your life, 
It's miraculous and it's incredible and someone needs to hear it. Someone does. comforted father minds that are renewed father I just ask father that we just continue to allow the Holy Spirit to woo us continually again and again and again and again father because you desire to have relationship with us it is not a one-time deal father it's a continual thing continual growth father continual relationship father 
and we want to build on that just as you do. Father, I just ask that you just bless them, Lord. Give them an incredible week this week, Lord, and give them those God moments, Father, where they can just be your hands and feet upon this earth, Father. We just thank you for that. And we give you the honor and give you the praise in your precious son's name. We believe that it is so. Amen. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.